All right, hello, and welcome to Totem Talks episode 17. 17, we made it. The final episode yeah. of the No. <laughs> Not no. the final episode of the series? Okay. No, I mean, unless you were just thinking 17. You, I think we have covered every You have planned for like multiple point. hundred episodes. That's true. That's already. true. So I, I did. think if you just stopped That was at just kind of a hobby, I guess. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, I mean, I'm not lying. That probably was a hobby for you yeah, for a bit. Yeah, it really was. It was kind of uh, out of control. You know. Anyway, welcome to Totem Talks. We are a, a local Bucks County, Pennsylvania cover band who has decided to take every musical artist ever and rank them and do a little bit of a deep dive into who they are, um, go over a few of their albums, and then, like I said, rank them against each other and against themselves yes. and against our idea of what music is. Right, which... You know, what qualifies <laughs> us to say that? I just kicked Oh, my the God. Are you all right? Have bottle. you broken the studio? My toes hurt bad. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, but it's okay. Anyway, um, if you're you? new to the <laughs> podcast, welcome. If you are a returning customer, welcome back. <laughs> Why don't we start by introducing ourselves? So, like I said, we're from a local cover band called Low Totem, and my name is Pat. I am the lead singer of Low Totem. And I am Nick, and I play guitar, piano, and sing for Low Totem. I am Tyler. Uh, I actually just got hired on uh, as the pediatrician. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the girlfriends of one of the uh, members of the band just found out that she's pregnant, so she wanted to, you know, hire me oh on board. But she still wants to keep it a secret, so I won't say who <laughs> she is. George. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, yeah. it is the Alex's only girlfriend, George. Yes, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody's pregnant. I don't know why we have a pediatrician. Yeah, I don't either. Right, but I do know that we're looking at three <laughs> artists today. Perfect segue, right? Oh, um, my God. So so on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Smashing Pumpkins, Fleet Foxes, and rounding it out with War. What is it good for? Yeah. So, Pat, I would really love if you introduced the audience to the Smashing Pumpkins, because oh, I know they sure. are your favorite band I would time. love to introduce them. Okay. So the Smashing Pumpkins, they're an American alternative rock band from Chicago. Uh, they were formed in 1988. They're a hard rock band. They're an alternative rock band. If I, you're looking at Apple, you are incorrect. Oh, uh, you did that thing with the Apple music. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, so they were formed in 1988. They broke up in 2000 and then got back together in 2006 and are still together today. Not all the original members. Yes. <laughs> no, it's never all the original members when of that course. happens. Of course. But that is the little blurb on the Smashing Pumpkins. So as per usual, we went over three of their albums. We went over their first album, which is Gish. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I, I think guess it's Gish. Gish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's Gish, that's what I mean. Is yeah. it Gif or Jif? That's a, right. I don't know. So I, I'm going to say it, it is it, it, Gif. It, 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 it's, def it's definitely Geish. Oh, Geish. it's oh, okay. interesting. Could be. Uh, Could so then we well went be. over their most popular album, which is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And then let me take a deep breath for this one. We went over their most recent album, which is Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1 slash LP colon no past period, no future period, no sun period. Yeah, very, very interesting name that they went with on that one. And then funnily enough, probably right around the time that this episode gets released, there will be a brand new Pumpkins album that we yeah. didn't get a chance so, to, oh, to listen to Don't yet. say that. No, I will Everybody say, I'm going to say, we, we do these live. live. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> we recorded these episodes. We have a little bit of a, of a backlog um, of episodes just so we can make what? sure we're- Stop it. We're no, making don't sure tell, oh, no, we can release- been broken. We are making sure we can release weekly content to you no exactly. matter what goes on in the world. So this episode was recorded on 
September 19th. Yeah, that is correct. On That's September funny. 18th, Smashing Pumpkins announced a new album coming out in November. There you go. So obviously, if that album is already out, that's why. Right, exactly. We did not talk about it. <laughs> so just shatter the illusion for I know, everybody. I know. We're only like two the episodes. We only have faded. like two episodes in the backlog. It's not like this is like six All months right. ago. Pat, tell us about Jish, Gish, Jish, Geish. I'm pretty sure he said it was Geish. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, I'm going to tell you about Gish. Uh, <laughs> well, it's an album. Next. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, that's fine. Okay, I'll I'll talk about it. I do not love the Smashing Pumpkins. I'm going to be very upfront about it, and it's for one reason. I do not love Billy Corgan. Um, I understand that he writes good music to some people, and it's not like uh, in previous episodes where I disagree, where I think that oh, people, I this guy, I don't know how this guy ever made it to big. Like I get why he's you know a famous person. But uh, I've also heard a lot of things that he's like really pretentious and not a great person, uh, and he gives a bad name to lefties. Um, yeah. Oh, you yeah, don't that's... like him because he's just like you. I am oh. absolutely not pretentious. I am offended that you said that. Anyway, um, Pat is the least pretentious. No one, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. No one's. No one's is all right, all right, less pretentious right. than me. More pretentious than me. I don't know. Just just finish the words about the album. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, the one thing that I could say about this album, uh, a phrase came to mind as I finished it, and the phrase was lost in the fuzz. Hmm. And that is like, I mean, every single song had good moments. Um, I'm going to just skip over Billy Corgan's voice. I do not like Billy Corgan's voice, and I try not, you know, I try, I'm trying to give it not even a chance in spite of that. Not mm-hmm. even, not even... For track three, Rhino Rhinoceros. Yeah. Yep, uh, Rhinoceros. I would say the track three, Rhinoceros, was definitely one of my favorites from the record as well. I love. <laughs> I would agree with you on that. I thought it had really nice guitar work in it. Yeah, uh, but so I we'll also start the first I one. also really enjoyed I Am One. I mm-hmm. I yeah I couldn't did not tell you a I single one. song in this album that I didn't like in some way and that's uh, i'll tell you i'll tell you right oh, now I was still, I'm, i'll just be done it's okay i'll synthesize once you you go back to I'll i want to bring your then? points together i was in the middle of a sentence i i know but guys you were you were getting stop really making depressing me the tyler where no i, I just to, don't to like this back and watch well as, yeah as exactly so i wanted to to try to focus on more of the positives the upswings um i will say that if i were to listen to this album Today, like if this was something that was put out recently, I would be like, "Wow, you're really just trying to pretend to be early '90s alternative rock." I can't. But then when I see that you the understand album that this is, is like a grunge, this one like grunge like awards, really and you have like completely, you've completely sullied grunge I, albums I mean, in the past, but I, this is the one you like. I will say it doesn't have a grungy. I don't to consider me. the Pumpkins as part of the grunge wave in the same way that I consider Nirvana, Alice. I mean, Chains. Gish was ranked like, the 32nd yeah. greatest grunge oh, album. Of I totally all time. understand. They're so fringe. I, I definitely put them more in the alternative rock of the '90s. More I like understand. I put them closer to Radiohead than I do to Alice in Chains in my classification in my head. That's like, fine. I just was. It's just. I mean, funny that's just to me. me that's that just the way. An I, album I that won it. Grunge Awards is one that Tyler likes. Right. Well, I, to me, yeah. it didn't. It didn't really have that grungy sound. When no, I, I didn't when think I so hear, either. When I hear grunge, I usually think of like distorted speakers and stuff like that, and I didn't really get that vibe like i granted mm. it was there but sometimes it wasn't, yeah not it, not always it's yeah. not as pervasive on the pumpkins albums and i will say that my general feeling throughout all of the le- records that we listened to was the harder they rocked 
the less I liked the music. That is 100% true. Yeah. Now, what I was going to say, because I actually have a lot of positives on the first album, Mm -hmm. I was getting through the fact that I don't like Billy Corgan or his voice. Um, I really liked the guitar work in Rhinoceros. Mm -hmm. I really liked the bass work in Suffer. Which was also Billy Corgan, by the way. I and that's fine. Yeah, it I, actually it came out just so that everybody knows. In the first couple records, Billy has come out and said like he actually recorded all the guitar and bass parts, and then the other members of the band learned them and played them live later because they couldn't hey. get them down in enough takes in the early records. And listen, I'm not saying Billy Corgan's not talented. I'm saying I don't like his voice. Right. No. Totally. And I think he's a little pretentious. I just thought that was an interesting factoid for this. But I really liked you know some of the guitar work and bass work. And I really liked the, the the vocal in Daydream. Oh yeah, I liked was, listening to Darcy sing. That was yeah, really I nice. really liked Darcy's voice. In and there that. were good. There was a good string arrangement on that tune as yeah, well. Yeah, and I, again, I just and I think when I said Lost in the Fuzz, I'm agreeing with you. Mm-hmm. Where it's like when they get that heavy hardcore sound, yeah, the heavier it gets, the worse. It just sounds it muddy. It's, and it's not hard good. to enjoy that way. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I can see where you're both coming from on this album. I mostly really liked this album. Um, I can see why Billy Corgan doesn't have that enjoyable of a voice to listen to. Yeah. But there was only one track on this album where it really threw me, and I was like, ugh, I wish somebody else was singing that. And it was uh, Tristessa. I thought Tristessa uh-huh. was definitely his weakest vocal on the whole album. Like, sometimes it feels to me like he just gets obnoxious and over the top with his vocals, and I yes. hate it. And usually I'm just like, okay, he's not that great of a singer, but I can just, I can dig it in this style of music, and I can yeah. let it roll. But I, sometimes he just gets I too definitely, much for me. I definitely have a nostalgia towards his voice, though, because um, growing up, Obviously, we all love Pixar movies, and I really loved Monsters, Inc., and my parents also showed me, like, The Princess Bride and whatnot, so I really thought that he was a, a good, a funny actor, and I liked him Oh, in was films. he in those films? He he was um he was the, the green guy, Monsters, Inc. No, that can't be right. Is he messing with me, Pat? Oh, he's messing with me. Okay, good. What? Yeah, he's talking about Billy Crystal. Oh, he's a... oh, are they not oh, the same? Oh, oh, <laughs> now I know what you're saying. in the Princess Bride, gonna, he plays the, yeah. the medicine oh, they, man in the woods. I was okay. going to announce it quicker, but I, was I like, saw hold you on. I haven't, for it. I haven't seen to... Monsters, Inc. in like, I don't know, 17 years when it came out or whatever. Um, oh, man. Way to make me feel old. Yeah. So anyway, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Uh, definitely one of the biggest 90s rock albums ever. I mean, this album was huge. It has an ongoing legacy. It was up for tons of different awards, and it won a lot of them. And I will say that there are a lot of times on this album where I totally understand why it did. Uh, starting with the opening track, the really great, simple, and beautiful piano on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the very last track on the second record ends with the same piano riffs in the same key and it drifts back in so you could listen to the album on repeat and it would feel like the Infinite Sadness Mm -hmm. theme. The piano drifts out and then it drifts back in with that that same part from the first track to the last. I was listening to it on my iPad, so I wasn't quite sure what record was the second record. (laughs) So... uh... Real quick, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't have a ton on this album. I will say that the theme of the harder they rock, the less I like, very pervasive in this album. Yep, absolutely. Um, I thought like the instrumental parts were really, really sweetly put together, mm-hmm. really well done. Um, nineteen seventy nine, I really enjoyed as a as a total. It's a great song. song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest thing that I had to say about this one was when you see an album this long, this big epic album. You know, a double, all this stuff. 
obviously there's some comparisons to certain other artists and albums. And I thought that while you pointed out a very interesting theme of the first and last tracks kind of falling into each right. other, the rest of the album didn't have that like linear message. Yeah, I would agree with which you. Which I which bugged me because like the titles seem like it would like mm-hmm. disc one, disc two, like right. you know, you're talking about, you know, different times of day. You sure. thought there would be more mm-hmm. of a flow. And listening to it, I was like, it just uh, it just feels like you took a whole bunch of songs that you wrote at the same time and put them all in the same album and then tried to make a theme. Yeah, and the theme for me, I guess, would be, wow, two songs I really liked in a row. Wow, two songs I really <laughs> hated in a row. Right. Wow, two or three songs I really liked in a row. And that it was almost like, like clockwork. For every two that I liked, there would be two more that I hated. Okay. Um, I was actually super impressed... <clears throat> By the now, I'd heard a handful of these uh, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings," "Tonight Tonight," "1979." All right. those were hits. Like I knew all those songs going in. But "33" ended up being probably my favorite song on the whole okay. record. I, I mean, was, it I was really a good song. dug that one. Um, "In the Arms of Sleep," which came after that, was also really great. <sighs> I, yeah, I would I just mean... say they should have just cut these twenty-eight tracks down to fourteen and made one record, and they would have had a great record. Right, but I mean, but to they, be fair, they probably wouldn't have had the sales because it wouldn't have. Sure, it, the, the right. whole part of it was the was the prestige. Of right, the whole unfortunately thing. to me, half of this album felt like filler. Half of it would have made for a great record. I think there was yeah. an hour of music that I loved on here, and an hour of music that I never really need to hear again. And that's it. So, so I I'm kind of coming at Smashing Pumpkins in a in a different way because when I was younger. I, I saw really... my daddy cry and curse yeah. at the wind. Yeah, right. No, that was a lyric reference. That Tyler's not going to. No, I know that. That's why I looked at you when I said okay. it. Oh well, everybody at home is just listening. They couldn't see your eyes. Yeah. They knew. All right. What did you? They've heard you for <laughs> fifteen episodes. I they was... know I was. That wasn't for you. <laughs> when I was younger, I um, was very much into the you know kind of grungy alternative kind of thing i i think i i don't know maybe we all kind of have that like rebellious phase i was you know i would go to hot topic and be you know trying to you did rock the eyeliner pretty well that's the one thing i didn't do but i did (laughs) i i did use to straighten my hair yes you Mm. did i would straighten my hair i so listening to smashing pumpkins now with where i'm at currently I uh, I don't have nearly as much negativity towards things around me as I I did when I was younger. So this is not music that I would listen to now, but I can recognize that going back to like my middle school, early high school days, this would definitely be on my iPod and I would definitely be listening to it on the bus to and mm-hmm. from school. <clears throat> Nowadays, it doesn't touch me the same way it sure. probably would have. I, you know, it's it's almost a shame because I was fairly unaware of Smashing Pumpkins at the time. Right? right at the time, had I had I been more aware of them, I probably would have been more into them. Uh, I was very obsessed with the soundtrack to Watchmen, and um, particularly uh, a track by Smashing Pumpkins that what didn't actually make it onto the soundtrack but was the song that they used in the first trailer for Watchmen that I really liked for some reason there was something about that song that What like, song I need to know Um I I 
I'm not going to be able to remember the name uh, of it. I was curious uh, just because my did... favorite pumpkin song is one we didn't listen to for this, which is well, Disarm. I don't well, know if that, so, because we didn't get the chance so to do that they, for the podcast that is today. one of their good songs. They've done two different versions of that song that they used for the trailer for Watchmen. And one is like a, a crazy like rock out version i guess hmm. you'd say and another is just like a really slow one and the slow one is what they used for the trailer and i i really liked it it was definitely on my ipod i can remember it being okay. on my ipod i'm sure if we'll i will see if we can we yeah. can research that up i'm sure if i um, dug um uh the name is the beginning is the end is the beginning okay then there we go then that was the one that's um, there's a recommendation for everybody yeah i'm sure if i dug my ipod out of wherever it's it, it is now that would be on there mm-hmm. uh but yeah like i said it's not bad it doesn't offend me now but it just doesn't connect with me now like it would have when i was younger yeah uh I that it. said i i really there there weren't as many negative tracks on here for me as it sounds like there were for you guys i could probably let this album play through without needing to skip that frequently hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was all the hard rock songs on this one that I could have gone, yeah, gone away I, and, with. And, really, and, yeah, and I totally and I totally get what what you were saying when you brought that up, and I think I'd have to agree. Once they do their their harder rock, they they become far more generic and grungy, mm. and not nearly as I, I mean, it is going to kill Pat, but not nearly as eloquent as some of their softer stuff was. And I also c- kind of think they're a they're a bit of a victim of the we're gonna use a lot of you know i'm I'm not offended by foul language mm-hmm. but i also think that there's like a place for it yeah oh, oh they I have totally a lot of totally agree they have a lot of explicit tracks that i feel like mm-hmm. the only reason why they're explicit is because just for shock they value want to like, appeal yeah, oh. to the, I'm right there you. with you. Like, if it works, if it makes sense for your lyrics, right. go for it. But if you're, if I feel like you're like mm-hmm. pandering to like kids who think it makes them look cool to curse, like, well, well that's not really writing. Yeah, um, it, yeah, I mean, and then, and that's part of the reason why I, the the grunge genre in general is one that I've. I've never really been 100% into. Like I said, I always leaned more towards the alternative when I was younger. Uh, but that said, uh, we can move on to their most recent one. Okay. Yeah, this one was uh, really short. Only 30, 31 minutes and 47 seconds. Thank God. Um, I actually thought that there were some solid tracks on this. Oh, I uh, don't like agree. Solara was one of their harder rocking songs that actually didn't stink to me. Mm-hmm. It was one of their better ones. Uh, Alienation, I thought, was a solid track. But there were a lot more tracks on this record where I felt like Billy Corgan's voice was just obnoxious. He was right. like, I'm older now. I've lost a step on the vocals. I can't hit the notes as much. So if I just scream them or like really just belt into them to yeah, make it sound like loud, it. it just felt super obnoxious and over the top to me. Okay. So yeah, and that's all I really have for that one. <laughs> that's funny that you said that because here's my thing about this album. I obviously have ragged on them before. But the one thing that I did say earlier, and I'll say again real quick, that they do have is talent at writing. Billy Corgan is a good writer. Definitely. And they have talent musically. Definitely. And this album, I just totally thought it was uninspired. Mm. It literally felt like I have to write songs, hear songs, listen to my songs. I didn't hear any inspiration where I I heard inspiration in Melancholy. Like, the reason Melancholy is so many tracks... 
is because he was just sitting there writing so many songs. He had, you know, and this just right. There like, were none of the highs of the other albums. There on was, this one, and I, I mean, agree. literally, like. I don't have anything really good to say because obviously I don't like Billy Corgan's voice already and I just felt like there was none of that musical interest in the songs. Uh, Knights of sure. Malta, I will say, and I don't dislike Imagine Dragons, but I use this as an insult. It sounds like a like a, just a vacant Imagine Dragons song. Interesting. Whereas Imagine Dragons, I like their music, but it's kind of generic. Yeah, I would and agree. That's I got that vibe from them uh, on this one. Travels, it just was like weird weird like droning on about in that song and i also thought the lack of a chorus was not for its benefit mm. um and the whole thing just felt the only one that felt like a little more reminiscent of like older smashing pumpkins was seek and you shall destroy which actually had that like older smashing pumpkins vibe but still i didn't care for that one nearly as much, i didn't actually. care for it but i didn't yeah. say i liked it but it did remind right. me of older smashing pumpkins okay the rest of it just felt super generic and uninspired yeah, so right. um, without repeating some of the things that you guys um, brought up and um, to add a little extra on there, um, I agree with a lot of what you were saying. Um, it 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 kind of this album really did sort of almost feel like they were kind of going through the motions of putting out an album. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing really felt like um, they were putting this out because they genuinely had something that they that they wanted to sure, say. Right. Um, so as of time of recording. The 19th of September, uh, two tracks have been released for their new album, um, CYR. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I could say this right now, Nick. You oh, they're absolutely like hate very synthy. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to hate very it. Very synthesized. Yep. Uh, you definitely get that like 80s electronic feel. Yeah, I'm going to despise them. it. I, I can't wait. Uh, and yeah. me, I'm someone who actually likes that kind of sure. stuff. Uh, I it's just two tracks, so I can't really give like a a, a good, honest opinion on sure. the album. Yeah, yet. I was curious about this. Though. Of yeah. the two, of the two that they they have out, they have uh, track one, "The Color of Love," and track two, which is the title track of the album. Okay. Uh, they they they're just okay nothing n- nothing new is happening here uh listening especially listening to to cyr I- i've heard this before you know uh the lyrics might be different and unique to them but everything that's kind of going on in the background yeah. okay. it's, well, it's just yeah, it's generic. fitting it's fitting that like that kind of resurgence I, I of the feel 80s like that sound just pop. always sounds the same anyway no matter what which <laughs> is part of the reason why i hate it there are um, ways okay. there are ways you yeah we gotta grade them we gotta grade them yeah, let's on. go on and grade uh them. so cultural impact as much as you hate them pat you gotta admit that they're above I'm, average I'm, they're a name I, that people listen, know I'm, they're one of the biggest alternative rock bands to come out I'm of the 90s disagree yeah. with a you. name that people know an activity people love to do yeah that's true who doesn't love to smash pumpkins but i mean yeah i mean they've got to be above the average were, okay, fine. I think they should at least be in the neighborhood of bands like Alice in Chains. They were um, amongst the biggest hitters of the 90s. And I think it wouldn't be wrong for us to look back at our Alice in Chains score and kind of put them around there, and, okay. which was a 7.2. Um, I don't think it would be unfair to grade them similarly. I re- I know you're okay. going to want to rip hold them on. later on, but... I'm, I'm, hold on a second now. This Go is ahead. important. Does any of Alice in Chains' cultural impact stem from... Lane's, Lane's death. Daily. 
Uh, that's a good question. Do we question. put them at a seven even? I think that's that's a fair discussion. I, I'm okay I with this. Yeah. I do think they have a lot of cultural impact. I'm not going to take right. that away from them. But like, I feel like the big. I mean, yeah. No, a seven makes. I know sense Billy Corgan's a that. persona, but yeah, yeah, a terrifying looking persona. Um, <laughs> no offense. Okay. So yeah, Billy, I know you're listening. Look. There are ten studio albums. They went platinum four times platinum diamond platinum and gold the first several yeah. and then there was another one zeitgeist in 2007 that also went gold uh-huh so they're up there half of their records are at least gold very few records have hit diamond that we've looked at so far and on listen this entire to podcast. be fair I, I feel like i made it clear with the exception of the last album I'm not saying they are not good at right. music. I'm it's saying just I the, very right. much don't like oh, this sure. style of music. Understood. The last album sucks, yeah. but um, so, the other ones don't. So they got to be above average on Breath of Work. I mean, oh, they yeah. have, I mean, they got to be. They they're be slightly above on on amount of albums. And I mean, with that uh, many sales, they're thresholds. well above on sales thresholds. Well above on sales thresholds. And even if we're neutral on the music, uh, they still have got to be in the high sixes. I would agree with what you just said. Yeah, I think I'm going to put them at like a six point eight. Honestly, I think that's totally right I, on. Yeah, I, I think you know they might get hurt a little bit later on, but but that was that was a good category for them All as right. well. Tyler, do you have anything to say about their instrumental or songwriting? Yeah, talent? you know he loves to talk I know about you instruments. Lo- that's why I wanted to let him talk <laughs> first before we talk. Because he has said before, he's like, you guys only mean anything to say in these categories because you guys know it more. So I'm letting you talk. I wish you wouldn't. Yeah, he looks like a deer in the headlights. Let's move Come on. on. All right. Fine. Um, Instrumental so talent. here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their guitar playing, uh, bass playing, drumming, it was reminiscent for me of the talent level of Muse with the great exception of uh, with Muse, you had that incre- the ability to have incredible piano. Yes. Like the ability to just throw in, you know, the great works of Chopin that are incredibly difficult to play on piano yeah. and mix that in with music. Pumpkins don't quite have that. I think we agree that vocals hurt both of those bands. I mean, but they're both in that like slightly above maybe an instrumental yeah. talent before that. And then the vocals might bring them back down. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, not to just make comparisons to other bands all the way through. But I think Muse is maybe their closest comparison uh, of the I, bands that we looked mean, at looking thus far. At the score we gave Muse, I'm feeling pretty good about that comparison because I would put them a little bit under, just slightly under average, because you know, yeah. I, I mean, the vocals can under. be incredibly grating. A lot of it is average. Yeah. Some once in a while they do something that's above average, but they definitely then the have vocals flashes back of, down. They definitely have flashes of of good. Yeah, right. And I would say like a lot of the pieces that I really liked were better because of the way that they were written than because they were virtuosic piano right. or guitar playing. You know, like it was just well written, not incredibly yeah, and I would agree. You know. Okay. Okay. Yes. Songwriting talent. So here is here's what I'm gonna <laughs> say, because I feel like we, you know, I want to be very open. Yeah. I have to score Billy Corgan well in this because he writes songs that are very well thought out. Mm-hmm. Even though they're a style I don't like. Right. For most of of them. For the fact that you came into this like hating on the pumpkins, like super not excited about this episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're being you're really doing a good job of giving him his 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 deal. Listen, he is he's I think he's pretentious and I think he does some things that are kind of douchey, but he backs it up with writing good music for people that aren't me. Okay. And I wouldn't uh, say that the things that he does are very clean. Okay. (laughs) Just uh so I would be putting him right around like a five eight now i I wouldn't argue with that yeah and that's literally just because i think that 
that last album hurt for me. I yes. was going to put him yes. in the sixes, totally, and then that last album just felt so phoned in. Yeah, that right. And I would say a, a lot of that was also in the earlier albums. I mean, they keep trying at the yeah. really hard rock, almost towards grunge sound, and I really feel like that was the area where they failed the most as a band. To I would put agree. those songs. Together. I would completely agree. Um, um poetic talent. Uh, there's some good stuff there in there, and then there's some stuff. stuff that makes you kind of turn your head and like, is the yeah. same guy who wrote this song also <laughs> writing this one? I don't understand. Yeah, it's very clear that he writes um, from very different emotional places. Yeah. Like, there's some artists that, like, choose one creative, like, mindset to be in and then write there. Sure. Billy Corgan's kind of all over the place, and so is his, you know, lyric talent because of that. Yeah. Um, And I think it kind of balances itself out above average because more of it is... You know, more of it is lyrically interesting than not. I agree. Um, but I'm still in the fives. I'm fine with I'm it. I'm not above a five. I'm actually probably around like a, a five, five and a five four ish. Five four, five okay. three range. Okay, that's kind of where I was thinking too. Slightly above. And are we in agreement? There's not an X factor that I missed. I mean, he's a lefty. Yeah, but Did then we, we have to go back and give points, points for being a lefty. Then we have to give like a bunch more points to all the other bands that had left-handed members too. I know, but it's, I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. Well, no, we should it. we should give him something. Like Pat said, he was a lefty, which is tantamount to a severe handicap. Ha, ha, Tyler ha. is the only non-left-handed person said on this liar. podcast. Yeah. You're outnumbered here, buddy. You might want to walk back that stance. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. The Fleet Let's, Foxes. Yep. All right. So Fleet Foxes or The Fleet Foxes. They are an indie folk band. They were formed in Seattle, Washington in 2006. So um, we listen to all of their music. They have three albums out. We usually pick three albums. And so we listen to their three albums. Yeah, interesting how they only have three, even though they started in 2006. Yeah, they Because Robin huge... Pecknold decided to like leave the band when they were having a little bit of success with those first two albums and go to college and get a degree. Yeah. And then come back once he had accomplished yep. his goal, which I think is really cool. Like... It shows that, you know, that was something that he was truly dedicated to. Like, he had yeah. his priorities about his education. I respect it. Right. I really respect it. And I completely it. agree. So, uh, we listened to their three studio albums. We didn't listen to the EPs. Right. Uh, but we listened to their three studio albums. The first one of which is Fleet Foxes. It's mm-hmm. an eponymous album. That was released in 2008. Uh, then we listened to Helplessness Blues from 2011. And then their most recent, which is Crack Up, which was in 2017. So, like we said, that six-year gap in the middle where no music was released. Yeah. Uh, it was a three-year hiatus, though, to be clear. They 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 took a hiatus from 2013 to 2016, and that's sure. when uh, Pecknold got his degree. Yeah. Uh, so, this yeah, first album, about, Fleet, yeah, Foxes. Fleet Foxes. Uh, so I was actually a little bit familiar with this album. I had heard it a couple times before, so I knew this band, which is why right. they're on the schedule. I had heard one song. This this first album, every time I listen to it, I like it more. I mean, I think especially for you guys who maybe weren't really familiar with this music coming in, I'm hoping it was one of those big surprise loves of the podcast where it was something sort of like when we hit the zombies and we had no idea how much great music was out there. Because this album is just great from beginning to end every track is really unique and interesting uh he doesn't know why is one of the ones that really sticks out for me but i could have named any one of these songs and i just love how interestingly arranged they are with the different instruments like they manage to be unique without sacrificing musicality like Uh, other indie bands that we've looked at like pavement that sticks out the most tried to be unique 
and they took all the music out of their music and just made random sounds that no one would ever want to hear. But the Fleet Foxes able yeah. to, are able to make this music super unique, but really, really pleasant to listen to at the same yeah. time. And that's, I, I mean, that's really agree. the whole story of the first album for me. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, I, like I said, I'd heard one song before. It was uh, it was White Winter Hymnal. Yeah, that, makes that sense. was that's kind of their hit from the album. And I love this album. <laughs> it's fantastic. I really enjoyed this album. Um, I thought all throughout the, the the instrumentation, like Nick was saying, was so beautifully done, and it was so it was so beautiful in the harmonization too. Like the whole album kind of gives you the vibe that these guys just like walked into a warehouse and recorded an album together. You get that kind of like echoey, yeah. folky mm-hmm. sound, and it was just so well done. Uh, just just nothing but good things to say about it. I really, really enjoyed White Winter Hymnal, obviously. Uh, that's like their big song, like I had said, and I really enjoyed that. Fun fact about that. That is the song that kind of got them noticed. So White Winter Hymnal um, was on one of their EPs. Um, it was on one of their EPs, and it was on MySpace Music. Fascinating. <laughs> and one of the producers of their record label listened to it on MySpace Music. And um, they they contacted them, and that's why they huh. became famous was because of that. Fascinating. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed listening uh, to to the whole thing. They actually have uh, an album that they put out that is just called. Um, Fleet Fox's first collection. It's 2006 to 2009, and you could just listen to that whole thing almost straight through. Um, this is kind of like the the music equivalent to a Wes Anderson movie to me. It's just it's just very unique and very pleasing all the way through. Yeah, yeah great. Cool. Do you want to start us off on Helplessness Blues since you? Uh, yeah. Um. I mean, it, it's going to sound like I'm not interested, uh, but that, that's absolutely not the case. I, my feelings towards this one was exactly the same as my feelings to the first. I, one thing that I just have to kind of just compliment these guys on is is they managed to do this thing where, you, you know, you have a lot of artists that put out, you know, album after album after album. And you have the risk of becoming stale, always doing the same thing. But then you also have the risk of, you know, completely blindsiding your audience and coming out with, you know, here you are, you're a hard rock and roll group, and then you just come out with a rap album. You're like, where did that come from? These guys, I, I, I know it's only three albums, but all three of these albums just just fit together. Like, you just stitched them together, and at no point did anything feel repetitive. It all felt like it belonged together but none of it felt like we were we were you know kind of retreading something that 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 we'd heard before it yeah that's per- like those are my feelings exactly as well i feel like they continued to be innovative in their instrumentation like they used a lot of unique things in the first album but then they used more unique things in the second album that weren't even on there like the style of the songs is similar but you get <laughs> literal tibetan singing bowls are used as yes. an instrument on this album I and it's done well music like about your yeah, and, and super cool i'm like i was kind of shocked to hear that these guys were from the united states because all of these albums i mean while i get it they're all done in english for the most part 
all of these albums feel very like like European Asian mm. type. Like, I, I, I guess okay. like a like a Eurasian feel. Like you can almost picture yourself like you know in Holland or or maybe maybe closer to like. Um, I don't know European countries. Yeah, very right. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, um, there's a or a different one. Yeah, um, but th- like the sound of them, like again, yeah. They're, so they're I have all a couple sung of them in English. Down. They're all sung yeah. in English, but the sound of them feels very, very European. But not in. I mean, not yeah. like that would be an insult anyway. Sure, no. But I just mean like it's very unique. Mm-hmm. I think part of that might be uh, to the producer on all three of these records is a guy named Phil Eck. So yeah, he is also known for other really successful indie bands that kind of recorded in this strain and style, such as Band of Horses and the Shins were the two that came to mind. So if you're a person who knows indie music and has like heard any songs by Band yeah. of Horses or the Shins, you would kind of be able to see why this guy had produced all three of these bands. Uh, but go ahead, Pat. I don't want to. No, no, no. You're fine. So uh, I, I do want to say in terms of the instrumentation. Uh, this is the album uh, th- where they took a lot of chances on that. Every different member of the band had so many different things that they played. Yeah. I think they hit on those chances, though. Yeah, oh, Chance I agree. Well I mean, we're talking like Robin Pecknold uh, played like the hammer dulcimer, the harmonium, <laughs> the moog. Yeah, I love that. I mean, love come it. on, the lever harp. I, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just a lot of stuff. Whereas in the first album, Interestingly, and we I meant to touch on it and we forgot. I forgot personally. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was credited with playing anything on the first album. They yeah, were all right. just credited as band member. Right. That's so nobody so kind of like, knew obviously who did somebody what. was doing all those things and it was unique. But yeah, but now they were all we just credited to... as band members. So now right. when you see it all broken down, you're like, whoa. Yeah. I see why you didn't do it the first time. Right. Taking up pages. Exactly. Uh, but in terms of the actual album itself, I, again, loved it. I really thought it was um, a nice set of growth, a nice mm-hmm. like, showing of growth for them. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about the different musical styles that were used. Um, I really, really <laughs> liked it. It was a lot more dark and intricate. Um, there was a lot more. It wasn't as just like light and fluffy. It still had that overall vibe. Like if you're just listening through it without kind of deepening or deepening, deep diving into it, you um you wouldn't really get it. But if you really listen to the songs, there's a lot more dark energy. Yeah, okay. Which is interesting. Um the big song I believe from this one is uh, Battery Kinsey. Um that was kind if of you, bigger. Yeah. Bigger, sure. I mean in quotes. I mean they're not right. I mean all these group. all these songs are awesome i think so i mean yeah i don't but, want to um, sound like i really I'm liked on. that uh that that song kind of at the end of it just like cuts off in the middle of a line oh so funny thing about that song at the end of it that cuts off in the middle of a line yeah did you notice that the third album when they picked up several years later very much related to the melancholy uh-huh. it picks up on the same chord and continues the music right where their last album left off that was something that robin pecknold like very specifically wanted to do yes. was when he came back after his couple years hiatus was to pick up his music where he left off and then kind of grow it from that uh-huh. point. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting, the way the albums led into each other. I also yeah. found this third album as... We... I did like it. Um, yeah. It was the most difficult <laughs> to access. I would say, like, <laughs> if you are not a musician... So, so first Tyler cuts me off I know, in the I'm done talking with talking about an album. No. So and sorry. then Nick cuts me off I had to talk about, about the third album, album once I mean... in that spot. So, like... 
I had no choice but to kind of just move on, you know, just cutting for me continuity. completely off. But here's just, the thing: I, was, I didn't even get to talk about my whole points on the second album. Oh, fine, go I ahead. I didn't even get to. All right, if you're gonna cry in. about it, I mean, I just the second time it happened this episode. Gosh, Pat, I feel like you guys planned that. Pat, we're running out of time. Yeah, right. right. We're, we're on a tight schedule, sir. Three hours now because you said that. Aye. Anyway. I really liked that the Plains and Bitter Dancer together, they started off really psychedelic, then it explodes into that classic chorus-y kind of vibin' echo-y sound. Uh, the Shrine and Argument. Uh, I really liked that song. It was a long song, eight minutes, and it really was uh, one of his more aggressive vocals. And it basically documented the Robin Pecknold's breakup his, over his five-year relationship, which dissolved during the recording of this album. Mm. So, like, while they were recording, his relationship fell apart, and he channeled that right into the song, and it definitely felt super raw and fresh. Like, it felt like this is happening right now, right. and I really enjoyed that. And that's all I had to say. So, oh, go you. ahead, Nick. Talk about yeah, Krakow. I guess I will. Um, so, I mean, like I was saying... I really like this album as well, but I could definitely see why of the three out. This is like the most challenging. I would compare this album. I guess it's like sometimes you want to read a really difficult book instead of just like a Stephen King novel because you feel better about yourself or something. I don't know. But this I mean, this album is sort of like the equivalent. Disparage Stephen King novels. No, no, no. I li- I like them, but I'm just saying that they're not like difficult reads they're easy reads they're i wouldn't necessarily. they're more of popular literature than they are of like yeah nick just likes to read history textbooks that, okay okay and look that's it all i'm saying is like there's a difference between you know li- reading a stephen king book or reading like a charles dickens book one is just harder to access but you can get a lot out of both one you just have to work a little bit harder to understand yeah stephen king's are okay. usually longer yeah okay do, do you guys really not understand the point I'm trying to make? I listen. I it's a little it's bit. I don't you just have to think a little bit more to I, to appreciate the music of this album, right? I it's not as easily like poppy and hits your ear perfectly right away. You just have to like engage with the music a little bit more. Oh, I get that. Yeah, you know, like, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's like yeah, a jazz record yeah. is harder to listen to than a pop record because yeah. you have to like work a little bit harder to understand the music. Oh no, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I just that's, don't like that you, you okay. threw some shade. At I just King. named the first popular author I could think of. I'm so sorry. I didn't say I didn't like his books because I do. You, you did say that actually. <sighs> okay. You said that in the hearts of men. Okay, I'm done with this album now. I liked it. <laughs> it's good. Good. Okay. Uh, so what yeah, I'll say, I, I'll. I mean, you can go first, Tyler. I will just mute myself. <laughs> um. I, again, I, I get where Nick's coming from. The music is definitely again another level of complexity layered on top right. of it. Um. For this one, they use dynamics a lot more. I thought that that was really interesting, especially mm-hmm. in the first song. Um. They used basically three movements in that one track. Um. And they they're all titled movements, and the dynamic shifts between the, the three movements really showed a lot of difference in emotion. Uh, for the next song, Cassius, uh, I really loved the stylistic variations. I mean, they literally had Krautsock uh, synthesizers. They went to like some Middle Eastern string and then some stomp and clap rhythms. <laughs> like, they went everywhere in that Oh, one. yeah. Uh, the rest of the songs, I agree that they were a little more complex, but I really liked them. Yeah, right. And I really liked his vocals throughout. I thought they were very consistent. 
And again, that's something I'm very particular about. Uh, the only other thing I'm going to say is on the song, I Should See Memphis. I loved that they had so many different things that shouldn't go together. Yeah, like okay. a whole bunch of mm-hmm. stuff. Like they had some Nawa music. They had some chamber orchestra, some psychedelia, and then some jazz modals. Like okay. a whole bunch of stuff involved where like you don't think of them as going together, but it fit really well in the song. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I'm curious uh, as to Tyler's opinion. And then once he's finished, Six Degrees of Totem Talk has arrived. So I'm very okay. excited to share Good. this week's edition. Um, yeah, I, it was it was different, but again, not like a not a bad different. Um, I I didn't think it was as difficult to get into as as you guys were saying. I didn't I didn't like I understood what you meant when you were explaining mm-hmm. it, but I didn't have that feeling. Maybe it was because I was listening to them just continuously. Yeah, into that each might have other. something to do with it. Like I could yeah. see how someone who just heard that album for the first time might be like, oh, wait, hold on, what is this? Yeah, I guess I, I guess by the time I reached album three, I kind of knew that I was going to get that like folk sound yeah. and whatnot, so I was I was just excited to hear more. Um, but I mean, this was this was a great trip for me. Definitely. Okay, good. Cool. So this week on Six Degrees of Totem Talks, <laughs> uh, the deep dive that I have found is I checked out the production on this last record by Fleet Foxes, and they brought in a guy to master this record by the name of Greg Calby. And Greg Calby has had a long career mastering records, uh, thousands and thousands of records he has mastered. And those include uh, Continuum by John Mayer, Young Americans by David Bowie, Paul Simon's Graceland, Supertramp's Breakfast in America. So like some of the highest touted albums of all time. And also all of our early Ramones albums that we listened to oh. earlier in the podcast. So Ramones and Rocket to Russia and several. So across almost every genre, this guy is a master of mastering. And so that was my little shout out to him on Six Degrees of Totem Talks today. <laughs> so let's give the, the Fleet Foxes some grades. Let's do it. Uh, so I think we can all kind of agree the cultural impact is going to be their only bad score. Um, like, I would agree. Like, Obviously, there's only three records, but we liked pretty much everything all the way through. We thought that they did a really great job. Yeah. But I did either of you guys know that this band existed before I put them uh, on schedule? I, I did because of White Winter Hymnal. Okay. Uh, and I just want to point out that they do have three albums, which is less than the average. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of breadth of work, they did go platinum and they did go gold. Platinum in, in uh, the UK. In the UK. Listen, the UK is a place too, oh, Nick. Oh, I'm just saying, like, My because we, when we default, because, you know, we're American, we just think everything's bad I America. default to wherever the music <laughs> yeah. makes them go platinum. Right, okay. Well, I just, like, they had 17 platinum records. They were, you know, they were all in Liechtenstein, which means you only had to sell to 10 people, but I, still. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Liechtenstein is a great place. Yeah, I'm sure that it's lovely. You've never been. Yeah, I, he's definitely It's very been. hard to be in Liechtenstein. Yeah. It's so tiny. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay. So, cultural impact, I'm thinking it's low. It's, like, amongst our lowest that we've had so far. Because I don't think of them as having a one-hit wonder. Like, White Winter Hymnal is a song that maybe you're more likely to know if you know a Fleet Foxes song. But it's not like it's a big hit on the radio. Like, everybody knows that one. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, these guys were popular. Like, they were very popular, like, up against, like, Vampire Weekend and stuff. Interesting. When Vampire Weekend, like, really blew up. Okay. 
So, I mean, they were, like, in that talk in that time, like, right around the late 20s, the late aughts. Interesting. Um, I was thinking, like, maybe they could, they'd really have to squeak out a one for me. I don't think they're there. Um, I mean, that's fine. I'm not saying they need to be that high. I'm just saying, like, maybe make it a little more easy to put them, like, at a one or even a 1.1, 1. 1, just a little bit. Really? Because okay. they, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying they're uber popular, and they're not uber popular. They're not. But they were in that talk when that when folk when the folk revolution happened, they were okay. being talked about in so, the Vampire so, Weekend and them. So not uber popular, but you're saying possibly lift popular. Yes, yes definitely right, exactly. lift popular. So are, are, if you're really pushing for a one, that's like that is my absolute ceiling. I'm I'm okay with a one. Okay. I'm just I'm just trying to make you feel better I, about no, it. No, I right, and and I want to feel better about it because obviously we all. Love I mean, and I will um, say like they are literally Grammy nominated. Yeah. Okay. Well, that helps. Make like me they feel were better, nominated for best folk album at the right. 2012 Grammys. Hopefully they won. Grammy. That's it. like the Emmy of music. Yeah, awards. that's right. Uh, so Yikes. breadth of work. It's only three, um, but all three were really solid. They at, the, at least the first two charted. I mean, I don't know if you can even worry about chart positions for records that come out as late as 2017 because everybody is only streaming music at that point. So right. what's the point in even looking at record sales at, at, at that kind of a date? It's all an um, illusion, man. But I can't give them, them half credit because they haven't quite gotten there. But I don't feel like they need to fall too far because the quality of what they've put out is so high. It's super well so, done. It's well thought out. And uh, the you high know, unlike threes the, the, to four is where I'm at in that range. Okay, I mean, I'm in the fours at least. Okay. I think they're out. I mean, I. Think, I mean, they only have half of our average number of albums, which is correct. what's really hurting them. But here's for me. my here's my thing with that. So average is five. Sure. And there's half of that, but I don't think that. That necessarily means it's half the score. Like I wouldn't immediately mm-hmm. put them at a two point five and then go up from there, because I take quality so hard, quality so hard is into important. account. Yeah, and there's not a single song on these albums that I wouldn't listen to again. I agree, and that's that doesn't always happen for me. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, there are so, definitely bands not, that I'm, have put out a lot more records with less with a exactly. less smaller total number of good songs. Exactly, and so I think that. You know, just because they don't have, you know, 12 million albums, I I still would be putting them, you know, well, I would about, be arguing for average, personally. I, and I know you don't want to go I there. don't think that's quite fair to everybody else that we've talked about on the, on the, but again, the podcast so far. But again, quality and quality are different things. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And part of that is taste as well. Um, I could go in the fours somewhere for you. But know that I started at like the high threes, wanting more. But I could go into the fours. I can settle. I mean, I'm the lowest I want to go is four and a half. Then that's where we should go. That'll mean, it's and that's right the, the lowest I'm willing to go. Okay. Instrumental talent. Uh, this is another case. Yeah, I think where... the fours work for them in that category well, it... too. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, it sucks to be uh, cut off, huh? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, you got so cut much off. Drama. I wasn't even given an option. No. Well, you never want to be a part. Of, you're like, I don't know scores. Uh, what can I say? Uh, I'm a teenage girl. Uh, I think these albums are fantastic more because of the songwriting than the actual talent on the instruments. Mm-hmm. I think these guys pull out so many different instruments that they obviously couldn't have the time to learn to be virtuosos yeah. on all of them. They just use the parts really, really, really well. I think yes. they construct songs 
at an incredibly high level, but they're not necessarily master musicians. And that's why I don't think instrumental talent no, is quite nearly I mean, as I, high as songwriting. I'm, I'm literally thinking like probably like a five two five three. I would I would I feel think, very average about I it. I think none of their playing is virtuosic. Virtu virtuosic. Yeah, that's that's you said the right word. Virtuosic. Yeah. Um, virtuosic is a different thing. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just think that they play ev- they play so many. It has to add some points. Okay. But I, I think that. that earlier in the podcast, somebody at the table swayed a little bit when you when the more instruments people played, the more the higher the score you gave them. And I like that you showed a lot of growth there by being like the fact that they play a lot of instruments doesn't add too many because they didn't play a lot of them in a great way. Was it me? Was I the yeah. somebody? No, I was looking at Nick again. The yeah, audience. I don't. Knew. I don't really remember what we're talking. Oh yeah, about we had talked sense, about but... that earlier, like episodes and episodes ago, okay. where I had made the point of just because somebody plays more instruments doesn't mean it's better. And then you sure. said that, and I was like, Nick. Oh, I, okay, I know what you're saying. But, um, okay. I mean, it just depends on the level. If you have ten top-tier musicians that in a band that are all tens, that's better than one person who's a ten at their instrument. is what I, And I would still stand by that. Well, but, uh, but we would give them the same score. I guess, maybe. I don't know. One person who's a ten at their instrument know. and ten people that are tens at their instrument still we get still, a ten. We still totally disagree on that, actually. On our list. Um, we still totally disagree on that. What Sorry. Would you, but what would you give that person? Like, if you're asking me, you're never mind. We don't have time to No, but I'm saying in our rankings. Uh, in the nines. And no, no, Just, no, no, no. Like, if you're asking me to compare someone like Elton John to Yes, Yes is infinitely better in terms of just pure musicianship because there are five virtuosos in that band versus just Elton John, who's excellent. But I don't have time to get into all that right now. I, Songwriting I, I talent I for Fleet Foxes. Possibly disagree I know. We more don't. We don't. Said. We don't even. Uh, I may never do another episode way. of this podcast. Okay. Now. Songwriting talent. I'm looking at the Fleet Foxes as really, really, really high on this. My floor is eight. My floor is eight for okay. them because, like I said, every album is completely different in terms of the instrumentation they use. And they always just construct... Sometimes it takes them 30 instruments to construct the song the exact way that they want it done with the exact movements that they want. Yeah. And with the exact dynamics that they want. So they're and wasting resources. Great. Right. Exactly. Uh, so that's I, that's where I'm at. That's my floor. I was going to say an eight and a half. I love it. For very similar reasons. I think that they definitely weren't settling for anything no. musical. No. Absolutely not. They weren't settling at all. I don't know. My opinion, probably 7.9. That's fine. Okay, well, I'll I'll average it in. Yeah, we'll average it right into (laughs) (laughs) 8.5. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, I just just like being under your floor. Sure, of course. Oh, you Uh, will end up under my floor. (laughs) Uh, Robin Pecknold is also an excellent writer. I'm sure we would all agree on that, that, uh, that we're looking at another high score for Poetic Talent as well. Yeah, we are, because I feel like a lot of these times when you have somebody who writes really good songs and is like really high up on that level of songwriting, the vocals or the, the lyrics usually take a dip because they're not worried. Fish is a great example yeah, of that. Yeah, right, absolutely. Fish, very, very good songwriters. Even though a lot of it was improv, they still yeah. worked really well together. Great exactly. swimmers. But Poetic yeah. <laughs> was a lot lower because they were like, we don't Correct. need good lyrics, we have good music. Yeah, maybe that's not what they thought, but that's sure, kind of the right. way it comes across. Yeah, I agree. Not the case here. I'm still I'm in the eights again. I would agree. I'm in the eights as I'm well. I'm in the eights again, and I'm I'm probably a little under eight five because uh, I think uh, the songs yep. are better, but maybe like an eight point two or three. You're like reading my mind essentially I am. at this point. I am, which is good because after all that disagreement we had earlier on in the grading, uh, 
we nailed it that time. Yeah. So there's not an X Factor for this band, unless I'm missing something I mean, completely. they got discovered on MySpace. Is that an X Factor? I don't have time to go back and look up every band that was discovered does, on MySpace. Does Tom from MySpace deserve an X Factor? I don't know. Uh, he will be your friend in lieu of X Factor points. That's fair. That's, That's automatically. Fair. Uh, so let's talk about War. Okay. So War is uh, an American funk rock band. They were formed in Long Beach, California, and they are known for, you know, a lot of hits that we didn't cover. Yeah, interestingly enough. Uh, because the albums, I mean, we've all heard them, so they'll kind of come up. Right. But the albums that we listened to didn't have them, such as Why Can't We Be Friends. Or Lowrider. Or Lowrider. Right. So, just, they were formed in 1969. They are still active today. Yeah, which I thought was fascinating. All the way through. Um, and yeah, so we listened to three. You want to tell them? Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say it. Uh, but no. we listened to Eric Burden Declares War. Then we listened to their... They had several gold records that all sold around the same, but the only one that charted at number one was The World is a Ghetto. Yes. And then their most recent record from the 2010s was called Evolutionary. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'll start off with Eric Burden Declares Please. War. The weakest album of the three... Uh, by far. I think we could by far. agree to that. Uh, Eric Burden really declared something here, uh, and it was not great music, unfortunately. Uh, Tyler, you said it best, and uh, so I want to let you say your piece again real quick. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. Uh, Eric Clapton... Uh, Eric, Eric Burden. Eric very Burden. different people. <laughs> yeah. Eric Burden declares war gave me anxiety. <laughs> uh he he does this thing the the music starts and you're like oh this is do you definitely hear that like 70s r&b kind of like funky music and you're like all right and then in comes a man who i've heard <laughs> sing yeah so i know he can do it right and he it it it's like his his voice just envelops the microphone and he just starts whispering poetry <laughs> yeah. in your ear. And that already was a little unsettling. But for me, what was the most unsettling is this is this album looks like it's a short album initially. You're like, five <laughs> songs? Yeah. Right. What's this? <laughs> no, these songs are really long. And mm -hmm. at no point does he start to sing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. So uh, I there was one one song where he sings a chorus. Yeah, but Tobacco like, Road. But like, oh, I was thinking "Spill the Wine." Oh yeah, but I mean, he sings on Tobacco Road. So, yeah. so you're you're listening to it, and he's just right there, and he's Oof. in your ear. And the whole time I'm listening to it, I was like. All right, so this is just the the intro, and then <laughs> and then he's gonna okay. sing any minute now, and it so, doesn't happen. Let me talk real quick before you talk next, sure. and then you can go right into the second album. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, I will say the funny thing for me when I I I never really thought about war, but I guess just the vibe I got from like you know hearing about them. What I wasn't expecting was the first instrument to be piano that I heard. One of the best parts of the album, actually. Yes, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I was just, like, immediately thrown off. Because when I hear mm -hmm. War, and, I mean, I know it has nothing to do with the song War, what is it good for? Like, yeah, right. But 
I definitely got like a more hardcore vibe in my brain. Really? I mean, you got a hardcore know vibe war. from Lowrider? I don't, I didn't know war. <laughs> you didn't know that was them? Okay. I didn't know that was them. Okay. And just like, so like, I didn't want to do any research before I, before I listened. So I did research after I listened. Okay. So I went into it just blind, just looking at album covers. Gotcha. And looking at the album covers as I scrolled through Amazon Music, I didn't get a piano vibe. Fair enough. So Fair enough. it was, it, you know, I like funk. I like blues. I got some blues in this album. Yeah, it was all in there I a completely bit. agree with what Tyler was saying. Long form, anxious building songs. With no payoff. With no payoff at all. Like I finished the album and I was just like, wait, I need, I need some resolution here. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was pretty much it. Uh, the hit from the song is Spill the Wine. Yeah, which, funnily enough, I had always just assumed was an animal song because I had never yeah. known that Eric Burden was in the band War for the first two records. Yeah. I thought of him exclusively as the lead singer for the animals, and so anytime I heard a song with him, I was like, oh, an uh, animal song. So it was real yeah. news to me like to hear this first album, to think of the songs that I knew by War, and to not realize that Eric Burden was going to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, interesting. But all I have to say is, like, sometimes <clears throat> the music was good, specifically the classical piano at the beginning and the piano outro. Yeah. Like, the intro and outro were the best parts of this album with some scattered, interesting things in between. Like, sometimes these longer tracks reminded me of the James Brown tunes where they would just uh-huh. kind of, like, long-form funk it out without real singing over it. Yeah. I thought it was an improvement musically because there were at least more movements to the music than on some of those James Brown records. But otherwise, that's really all that there was sure. on this record so as a whole. why don't you pull us right into The World is a Ghetto? Yeah, so this one... I, I mean, it was definitely their their biggest record for a reason, from yeah. what I can tell. And to be to be f- clear, this is no longer Eric Burden and War. Right? Yeah, Burden this has left. War. Yeah, right. So Burden has left, and you can see that difference right away. Yes. Um, the vocals weren't necessarily great without him. Not that he was adding much while he was uh, in the band. Yeah, I mean, for this album, I agree. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but it was very similar in the sense that you have only six songs on the album, a lot of really long tracks. Yeah. But now the long tracks are really grooving. Oh, now yeah. you're getting they some are way more fan, funk. fantastic solos on the saxophone throughout, on the harmonica throughout. I mean, really great instrumental yeah. jams, much more akin and, and obviously different in the sense that it's funkier and bluesier versus jazz, but more akin to the long-form fish tunes that we listened to Yeah, in the sense that I felt like there was movement and really great improvisational solos on different instruments. Yeah, so, I completely agree. Uh, I think the title track was probably the big winner from the album for me. And it's such a good I song. I mean, The World is a Ghetto was really oh awesome. Gosh. I re- like. That song immediately got added to my drive playlist. Yeah, it's a really and awesome track. Anybody who knows me knows I would not normally add a ten-minute song yeah, to right. my driving playlist. Exactly. So, uh, lots to enjoy on this one. Definitely a big improvement from the first. Is what I would. My yeah. my big takeaway. Tyler. Uh, yeah, I definitely would would echo that. Um, I like I said before the the first album that I listened to it was you know it just didn't it was definitely an artsy thing I wouldn't say I outright hated it sure but it was definitely not for me right this is much more what I think of when I picture seventies kind of R and B okay 
Um, and that was really great. I, I, I get, I, I'm trying to think of what I can mm-hmm. say that Nick hasn't already kind of expressed there. Uh, sure. You know, if, if you're a fan of this genre, then this is, this is definitely to me kind of seemed like the, almost like the, the pinnacle of that almost okay. like this was exactly where it needed to be without seeming like it was derivative. It was very unique. It was very interesting. Each track um, kind of spoke to itself but mm-hmm. as a whole, it all still worked as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not going to waste any time on that. I agree. Uh, my favorite song was also The World is a Ghetto. Although, shout out to the song Four Cornered Room. I also really enjoyed Oh, yeah. That one had better vocal stuff uh, going yeah, on, Yeah, much too. better vocals on that one. But I, I just like the, the groove in The World mm-hmm. is a Ghetto. Uh, so moving on to Evolutionary. Uh, okay. Tough to find. Very tough to find. 20-year break uh, that happened since the, their last album before this one. Yes. I mean, we we did mention that this is the, the 2010s album. I think it came out in 2014. 2014, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, The World is a Ghetto came out in 1972. Yeah, yeah. so there, there was some time for them there to change. There is one, one survi- like not surviving, but, sure, but in the remaining, band itself, yeah. one remaining mm-hmm. member who is the lead vocalist in this album? It's Lonnie uh, Lonnie Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, wish he sang. That. Wish he sang on all of the all albums. the other records. Yeah, because he was by far the best singer on on any War album I listened I to. Agree. Like not even close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I really liked this album mostly. There was a couple parts where I was a little more. Uh, you know, eh, I I trying to find the right word. A little more disillusioned. Uh, there was one song uh, called "Scream Stream," where there was a lot of auto tune. Yeah, not but great. it was it was not not like he needed auto tune, but like T Pain used auto tune, where it was just overdone and robotic. Right. Uh, but most of it was really good. There was a lot of still funk aspects, mm-hmm. a little more R and B. In this one, like yeah. a little more funk R and B kind of vibe to it. Uh, I really liked the song "Just Like Us," and yeah. I really liked mm-hmm. the song. Um, I really liked the reggae part of "It's My Life," and I really liked everything. It was like kind of a power ballad. It had some choir harmonies in it. Uh, all in all, really strong album. Did not sound like War. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Div did not sound like them, but I really enjoyed the album for itself. That's fair, and I think this like forty plus year progression uh, from the last album we listened until till now sort of reminded me a lot of our Parliament episode, where yes. all of a sudden they had a new album that was like heavily R and B, like almost a rap but album. But in at reverse, times. because I liked this one. Right? Yeah, you yeah, know, I like this one too. Medicaid fraud it, dog was yes. rough. No, but evolutionary. F- I'm just saying, it felt like a natural progression for R and B music to take over yeah. the course of that forty years. There were even a handful of rap verses in these songs, yes. and somehow they did it in a way that I didn't hate. Yeah, and I was is... kind of impressed because it's yeah. rare that a song can have a rap verse, and I'm not out. You know, like yeah. I could hunt, I could hang in there. So definitely a lot of winners on this album as well. A few songs that I just really didn't think were strong. There were tracks like Bounce that I just thought yeah. were just straight up bad. But all in all, I was 
just shocked that they were still rocking out this well that late on that late on in their yeah, career. Like and seriously, mostly a happy surprise towards the end. I, for me. I'm very curious to go back, like from 2014 back, to see when Lonnie Jordan took over as sure. the lead vocals yeah. and and listen to them. Yeah, I agree. Because he's the best vocalist in the group, and I wonder when that happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but that's it. So why don't we score them? Um, right. I mean. Yeah. Oh, wait. I mean. Do we want Tyler to talk about it? I mean, I was gonna let, give him an opportunity. No, nah, let's score them. Payback. For Were earlier. you able to find it? Because I know this one was a little tricky, and sometimes when you have to go th- rooting through YouTube, you usually listen to another album instead. So I found this right on Amazon Music. Oh, really? It wasn't available on Apple. <laughs> Rip Apple. I don't have Amazon Music. I couldn't find Apple it. Apple Music yeah. just uh, okay. Just That's Apple, I had a feeling. Apple stocks just tanked because Totem yeah. Talks disparaged their. Uh, that that happens literally every week on the show that we talk about how they're not doing it correctly. But anyway, it's so awesome when you put your album up on there. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they're gonna label it like metalcore. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. you're probably um, not wrong. So cultural impact, I will say, they were at least a two-hit wonder, three hits if you consider "Spill the Wine." Yeah. Um, you like to give points. For things that are like on TV and movies and stuff, I do, and you can't deny that Lowrider was a TV Excuse theme song. Excuse me, did you just say Pat is the one that likes to do that? Well, he does. That's definitively me that well, yeah, does well, that, and Pat so piggybacks. I assume off of you guys it. are going to be piggyback. like propping up the score of War because Lowrider was Lowrider is used for a television show. If I'm not cor- incorrect, are, are are you are you? Correct? I'm like pretty sure that they used it as a uh, was it the George Lopez show or something like that where it was the theme song was it I don't do this to me I don't know TV <laughs> what show what show was it Nick? I thought it was the George Lopez show you're and, probably right and yeah. George Lopez is, oh, is who? <laughs> okay that's just why yeah Everybody that's, knows that's who. not fair so did you not did you, am I making that <laughs> up completely or are you guys just messing with me I don't know does are you, are you talking about the, the sketch it's been featured in a number of popular films and yeah TV it was the theme song for the George I know Lopez I was gonna show. say okay I, right. I looked it up I oh, looked but, it up but, and I'm right but Nick w- no well, I knew you were are right you, okay are you sure because Pat said it was only in popular TV hey shows. it's okay look you know I'm not what? saying I've ever seen it I just know it was a thing leave me alone was I, I'm trying I had, to do TV. I, I'm trying to relate to you guys. I literally just found <laughs> out great. today that yeah. George Lopez had a TV show. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, All right. Did you not watch Nick at Night at 2 a.m. as yeah. a small child and be woken up by the George Lopez theme song, which was this song? Yeah, exactly. I so anyway, so you guys want to give him a You're 10 right. then? Based on, so I'll have to talk you back <laughs> down. No, give him a 10. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. But what I will say... Anybody who's been in Shark I will Boy give and Lava Girl and some gets points. their own TV show, 10. I will. We're not. This is not for George <laughs> so, Lopez. <laughs> uh, I, it became George Lopez. So this okay. is Lowrider, okay. as written and performed this is Lopez by Joe. Rider. Yeah, right. Lopez. No. So anyway, Joe okay. Lopez three. I, George Lopez throw that out. Okay. I am a little under. I'm a fine. Three. I'm okay. I was actually probably like a two point two, two point three. Really? Because so you gave I know, Ray LaMontagne a ton, like six points for an insurance commercial. I man. did not <laughs> give him six points. <laughs> that insurance commercial. That what? That insurance commercial won him an episode. I you gotta give more. Sold something. him to you, Pat. Uh, Listen, okay. <laughs> I did not. They give woke Ray you Lam- up every I morning gave Ray at LaMontagne two. Oh, right. Impact. Instead of that's a whole extra point. 
Give them a whole extra commercial. point for that insurance right, commercial. I'm okay with like a two two point five because we'll Fine. say they had three hits, works. three hits plus a TV theme song. That's Fine. Something. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Okay. okay. Breath of Work. They had like seventeen records, uh, studio yeah. records. But how many albums? Uh, the same <laughs> amount, roughly. Okay. The first two were with Eric Burden, so we know that those are kind of like the weirder ones. Yes. But they seem to be pretty solid, and they found that funk blues foundation after that, and they were yeah the pretty eponymous good album straight on through. they kind of were more consistent. Yeah. So I think uh, most of these records are probably pretty solid records, and even their most recent stuff still holds up, which definitely yeah. looks good for them. It shows even if there there may have been some albums where there wasn't this um feeling of growth right but they definitely showed growth in evolutionary and yeah. i choose as they to should after 20 that. minutes and 20, or 20 years, years. Uh, 20 minutes yeah, 20 minutes that's just <laughs> 20 how long minutes i've been thinking growth. about them uh, <laughs> so but seven of these records were also gold i just figured i would throw that out there. yeah i mean i'm leaning above average definitely above average uh probably not as high as we went with pumpkins close I mean, well, we have I to mean, think I, about it in terms like they didn't have as many sales, but nowhere we felt near like, the sales. But they did have good sales in terms they had of good seven sales, gold but records. Nowhere near the platinum. But they had nearly diamond. nearly double the number of records that they put out, and maybe more consistent in the music than mm-hmm. the Pumpkins too. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so, just saying like, like six and a half. I'm a little under six and a half. I'm over okay. six. I'm maybe like a six, two or three. Pat, we I'm all know okay with five foot with high. averaging it out to around a six three. That that yeah. works for me. I'm not. Th- I'm low on um, that. Instrumental talent. I mean, the vocals went from weird to okay to pretty good, but straight to like the musicians are really solid. Yeah. I mean, these guys. Solid is the operative term there. I mean, I think the the saxophonists that they had in this band were really killer. The harmonica players, the piano player was really great. I, I, They're definitely the highest scoring band of this episode in instrumental talent. I'm, yeah, I would agree with you, but I'm not, I don't think I'm as high as you are. Interesting. I think that, I think that they're really good as funk musicians. Mm-hmm. And I think the vocals definitely detract for the first album. Yeah, I which is so weird because we know that Eric Burden can sing. Eric Burden's just, a phenomenal but singer. But he just chose not to but on that record. Yeah, he it's just so literally bizarre. was like, I'm going to see if I can release yeah. music and not sing at all. Yeah, I don't understand that even I, it, a little. It was super weird, but I'm I'm definitely still in the fives. Okay, I was going to say which is where we were my now. number that I was going to throw out was seven. Yeah, I'm nowhere near Because the horn sections are really killer. I know you're a sucker for a horn section. I am. And I'm not saying that they don't Pretty deserve sure points for blow. that. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that while the horns are good, I think everything on this album is good. Or everything by this artist no, everyth- okay. is good. Nothing that I listened to from them was like, holy moly, this is amazing work with this instrument. I was like, oh, cool. I was interested that they had horns, and I was interested that there was piano, and I was interested in their bass riffs, but I never was like, whoa, I got to write that down. Like, I think and you I think undervalue the quality of a good good horn player, a good I absolutely disagree. Both my parents are trumpeters. Yeah. Well, and I just, and so, it ha- didn't rub off on you at all. I play um, the trumpet in every gig. No, you've never played. Uh, he, the mouth trumpet. He, That's the absolutely, Nate, and he's always rocking that butt trumpet. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, again, I mean, I'm still feeling like the piano and the horns are all above average players. That's why I was leaning towards seven. I, um, 
I can I come back down not. to meet you somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I'm, de- I would, I'm definitely I would, not. I, I would. I. I disagreeing with Pat here. I think that. Thank you. That's I... all very, very impressive musically. Yeah. Yeah, but you have in every working. episode have claimed that. Oh, just the ability to play your instrument and walk at the same time makes me want to give you a ten. So your opinion does not mean well, that much here. I'm still going to use it to help me a little bit, and yeah. we're averaging up to slightly above six. I go. couldn't disagree more with that choice. I very much disagree with okay. slightly above a six. Well, I mean, I agree. I'm disagree like with it too because I'm at like a seven. I, I, I mean, whatever. I mean, that's the average. That's the average of what we all said. Fine. This is we, how I we, feel we, when we go with things that I completely disagree with. You just yeah, but your it. stuff that you disagree with is Tyler usually isn't the decider there. Oh, he's always the decider. Yeah, but about <laughs> pop culture stuff, not about yeah. music that he claims. That'll to know be my about. job next yeah. week. Right. Uh, songwriting Ugh. talent. Um, I'm not interested anymore. I resign. I'm looking at the songwriting talent, and I look at the other guys that we've talked about this week, and they're not quite as strong as the foxes i mean maybe they're closer to the pumpkins and just in the sense that the pumpkins maybe put out more good songs but war put out more interesting songs on their records like instrumentally speaking i think war compositions when you look at every uh artist who's part of the band they do more for me um but then they kind of grow stagnant in that one feel uh, it's it's tough. It's a tough call for me here. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm not I'm not that high on their songwriting. I I didn't like the first album songs. I thought that they were too long and, like Tyler had said, anxiety inducing. We all agree on that, right? So I mean, I think that they got better at that. But, I mean, I'm not as high as I am on the pumpkins, and I don't yeah, like the okay. pumpkins. No, you don't. Now, I guess when when I say that, I mean, I'm pretty much exclusively just thinking about their other records, because I've tried to erase that first one from my when, mind. We can't do that. No, uh, obviously Which is not. why I was also super low, yeah. like, much lower on the instrumental talent. I mean... But, the, the, I mean, the first record still had flashes of really great piano playing and saxophone playing and all that other stuff. It had flashes of good, those things, and I think you're looking at the fact that the songs were bad, and those two things were the bright spot. Of bad music mm. doesn't mean they're tens, uh, and I don't, I don't think it means they're that. tens in songwriting either. I uh, think, I I'm think... just their their compositions are more complex than the Pumpkins, for instance. Yeah, but just because their compositions are complex, I can write a complex album. That's but it not doesn't good. necessarily mean it's good. That's true. But I, I mean, I think songs... we thought that the second two albums were good. I thought that the second two albums were good, and I'm not disagreeing with you on that. For all of our listeners at home, I want you to be aware that I orchestrated this episode in such a way that Pat would have to defend the Pumpkins. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's not something I'm. No one expected with. it. I don't like the Smashing Pumpkins, and I'm I'm constantly defending them in this episode, yeah, which is which super I, I weird. I love that. It's kind of been a lot of fun for us. But I, I, I'm I I'm leaning probably like a five and a half for oh, songwriting. F- that's that's exactly what I was well, thinking. We're I arguing over... The pumpkins. Yeah, I, I, was, I said like I was looking at the Pumpkins when I was thinking about creating my score, and they right. had some things that were better and some things that were I worse. I just said they're below the Pumpkins. Yeah. Five and a half was like pretty I'm much what I was thinking the, the whole ca- time. I'm still arguing about the last category. Uh, oh, I, I'm not. I'm never. I don't think that there's anything impressive here in the last category for poetic. No, I meant the all. previous category. I'm still arguing about oh. that one. Yeah, well, I'm not worried. There's I mean, nothing impressive poetically about this. There's stuff. nothing. I mean, po- it's their impressive. lowest category. Oh, hands down. I mean, well, I mean, cultural impact, but uh, maybe it's slightly above cultural impact. Maybe. You think? 
I mean, we we gave Fish a two point eight because they at least told told interesting stories sometimes, and their last album had meaning. Yeah. Do we think there's anything that was like? Redeemable? I mean, I think that I yeah, I do think because I think I think with Fish, uh, just as many things as were interesting, there was songs that were just actual gibberish. Right. That's true. And I think that at least, especially in the last album, you know, they were telling stories in the songs they had like a romantic story about like okay. two people getting together and falling in love they had like they had actual stories through the songs all right i'm i'm in the threes because i can't forget the first two albums we listened to yeah. even the world is a ghetto which is a great song right i mean this the words are pretty much the world is a ghetto like right. that's yeah. it yeah so it's not like they were writing anything profound but agreed i'm maybe like a three point something 3.2 or 3 i'll give you a 3.2 and then i will not give you however an x factor are there any lefties in this band uh i have no idea there could be statistically speaking there might be because enough people were in and out of it that's probably so maybe like a five yeah, yeah five i would, I would agree okay. all right so let's score them final scores final scores we have got i hope the pumpkins win if the uh, pumpkins win well, i'm buying I'll, i'm buying us a pie i'll let you know uh, War lost the episode, but with a very respectable losing score of 23.7. Yep, okay. Uh, right in the middle were the Fleet Foxes, who we all fell in love with uh, throughout this episode with a 27.4. Their poor cultural impact. Yep, their poor cultural impact is the only thing that did them in, because otherwise they looked really great. And then the winner, probably to no one's surprise, the most famous band in this uh, episode would be the Smashing Pumpkins Ugh. with a 29.8. So pretty tight, I would I would say. Um Three bands that really kind of hit pretty well, but had their missing categories once, you know. Yeah, I, I, right. Smashing Pumpkins wins. Right. So uh, stay back and uh, come hang out with us next week when we talk about the one and only Chuck Berry. Can't wait for that one. Uh, also, don't forget to check us out at lowtotemband.com. Uh, you'll get to see a little bit about the podcast and more stuff that we're working on musically. Uh, feel free to follow us on social media. Low underscore totem is our Instagram. Uh, if you like these episodes, please let us know. Use the hashtag totem talks to just kind of let us know how we're doing. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear you. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, we've gotten some feedback and we do try to take it into account. I know we're still a new podcast, so... Let us know. Um, and that's all I have to say. Tyler, do you have anything you want to add before we sign off? Um, whatever you do, don't lick batteries, no matter how tempting they look. And with Wise. that, Wise and with advice. that sage advice, have a great day. <laughs>